As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, in my tier two back garden stroke extension with the patio doors wide open and with a a rather hungover but I think quite happy Wolves correspondent for The Athletic, Tim Spears. How are you doing, Bab? I'm cold, but I'm okay. (laughs) Freezing out, stroke almost in, but we are out and we're more than two metres, so all good. Now, before we begin, if you are thinking of subscribing to The Athletic, then you can give another subscription as a gift for free at the same time. So you'll have access to fabulous writing and analysis plus ad-free podcasts via the app for you and somebody else for a whole year if you subscribe now. Just go to The Athletic athletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod that's the athletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod and sign up now dear Molyneux view listeners welcome to you let's make this a pod of two halves shall we we'll do one half on the defeat by Aston Villa in which the world is about to end Wolves are never going to score again the summer transfer window is a shambles and they're going to finish bottom half at best The other half of the pod will be about the fabulous old Wolves-style stoppage time victory over Chelsea. How promisingly this up-and-coming vibrant side is evolving. Two assists for young subs and folks, Pedro Neto's strike sent Wolves back up above the villa into the top half of the table. And all is well with the world again. Probably just until Burnley away on Monday night, because that's how it works, of course. Now, speaking of emotional roller coasters, Tim, how was the wedding? <laughs> oh, it was great. Yeah, just managed to to sneak it in before um, before London goes into into tier three. Um, it was lovely. Yeah, fifteen fifteen people trying to be as socially distanced as possible, but after a couple of a couple of bottles of red wine, that wasn't uh, that was difficult to do. But no, it was lovely. Yeah, I, just a shout out to my friend Dom, uh, who is a listener, even though he's a Wickham fan. He's a fellow WWFC uh, supporter. Um, so yeah, it was a lovely evening was had by all, and his eight-hour playlist was majestic. <laughs> was it? <laughs> Talking of majestic, how many bottles of wine did you have? Um, I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. I, I was drunk tweeting as well. It's not. It's not advisable. I know I don't, you were. I, I, was don't a bit, rem- I was a bit worried about that. Did you have? Twitter notifications on because I'm a bit of a nightmare when it comes to going to weddings. I'm terrible at, at switching off from walls. I can't switch off. I can't. Full respect to friends and family who might be getting married, but I can't just wait a couple of hours. I couldn't think about anything else for those two hours. And we were down. We were downstairs. It's like an underground bar, and um, there was no signal. So I kept, I kept having to run upstairs and outside to, to check what was going on. Um, I don't like it at all. I hate, I hate missing Wolves games. I must have. I've missed a handful in the last kind of five years. So uh, and to miss such a good a good win as well. But anyway, I watched it all back this morning from minute yes. one to minute ninety eight, and uh, what a fantastic performance! So, what are your overriding thoughts, having analysed and scrutinised this morning? I mean, it's funny. It's funny the parallels you get with with the with the two one comeback win over Chelsea two years ago, which kind of really kick started Wolves' first Premier League season, 
Um, there's one about, one about Sorry, avid listeners should, outside. <laughs> we should just point out that because for obvious reasons we're having to record with the patio doors wide open and we are juxtaposed, sort of sitting on the edge, aren't we, of the indoors because it's raining and the outdoors. So there are people tooting and there are birds tweeting very loudly with, what, were they Nokias? What are they using out there? I don't know what's going on. Um, yes, so yeah, th- there was that 2-1 win over Chelsea two years ago. Ironically, that was when they first ditched 3-4-3 and they came from behind to win 2-1 and it, and it kick-started their season. On uh, on Tuesday night, we saw them go back to three four three, and it instigated this this really really good performance. Um, I thought it reminded me of the Wolves of old, kind of sat deep, driving forward from from midfield. There was like there was there was vitality, there was vim and vigor in the front line, and and they, they deserved it. I thought after, I thought the, it took the goal to sort of to sort of shock shock them into life. I think the Chelsea goal, but after the Chelsea goal, they, they were the better team, and um, they took they took Chelsea on and deserved to win. Yeah, the trouble is with that, great though it is, and it is wonderful, it does have people then thinking, well, hang on a minute, what about this evolution that's supposed to be going on with the four at the back and the progressing and having the extra man in midfield, the extra attacking player? Because, and Conor Cody admitted afterwards, yeah, we, we did feel so much more comfortable with the back five, but we just need to work on the four business. They looked, they looked so much more comfortable defending. They defended as a unit. I thought they were really hard to play through. Um, unless unless certain players were isolated, and I think we'll see a horses for courses approach from now on. I don't think they'll ditch four two three one. And I took a close look at the last four games for a piece I did earlier this week as to how it's benefited them going forward in terms of more shots, more chances. Their expected goals are up, so I think they will persist with that. But I think it depends on the opponent. And for Chelsea at home. A uh, free-scoring team, a very good team, full of quality players. I think it was the right thing to do. Obviously, you can say that in hindsight because they won. But I think against the better teams, we said they should have done it at Liverpool. Go back to what you know, defend well as a unit, 3-4-3, 3-5-2. I think against the better teams that can cut Wolves open, I think we'll see them utilise that system. But perhaps Burnley away on Monday, um, we might see them open up and go 4-2-3-1 again. Yeah, credit to Nuno. It was certainly the right system and it was very much the old Wolves, wasn't it? It was the kind of slow, cautious approach in the first half, just sussing them out. Cody pinging his balls right and left and he looked so comfortable doing that and the Wolves playing on the counter and then that fabulous 95th minute winner from Neto was just so Wolves of old, wasn't it? It was like... I've forgotten his name, Jogo Jota. He's gone to me now. Um, from last season, wasn't it? Is that kind of... Neto's going to remind me of Jota. Yeah, exactly. That finish was just like the sort of thing that you'd have seen from uh, from Jota last season. But but it worked and horses for courses, as you say, and it's not a case of either or. I mean, come on, Wolves have no. to evolve. They no, have to, and, so Nuno's and, doing completely the right thing, isn't he? And he said, we need, to be un- we need to be unpredictable. I mean, Klopp said, I think I texted you before the Liverpool game, Klopp had seen the lineup and he still didn't know what team, what formation Wolves were playing. Now, it didn't matter because they won 4-0. But that will help. I remember Frank Lampard talking last year about how he knew how Wolves were going to set up when, when they when they thrashed Wolves 5-2 at Molyneux. He said, we knew how Wolves were going to play and they had a plan that they'd worked on all week to counter how Wolves play. It will be more difficult for teams to do that now because they don't know what system Wolves are going to utilise week from week. So, yes, it did feel familiar. It also felt very unfamiliar in that Conor Cody had a shot which I, I thought I was still drunk when I was watching it this morning. I was like, did that just happen? From open play. Somebody texted me last night. It might have been you, actually. It um, was me, love, yeah. All night. All <laughs> it, night, it my love. Is. You were trying um, to have a nice wedding party. And I was like, and another thing. <laughs> and uh, I assumed he'd had a shot from a corner, but no, it's from open play. And then you had Otisawi coming on, Vitinha, uh, both of them setting up goals. It, that was a bit unusual. Overall... Just a, a very good team performance with not many weaknesses. It was talking about the formations. And, and yes, Klopp said after that Liverpool game, he, he said we didn't know what they were going to play. And then when we saw the team sheet, we still didn't know. And I thought, yeah, that's that's a big positive because previously Wolves have been so predictable. You didn't even need to look at the Wolves team sheet to just crack on with the game, which is daft in itself. But Nuno said, um, talking about back four and various formations, he said, there's a lot we can improve. The shape with the back four is different. The runs are different. The points of pressure, how the midfield engages with the back line, that requires work and we are on it. He talks about being versatile enough and having a squad that can understand both ideas, back three or back four, is better for us. We are trying to find the best solution for the team game by game. Being able to control two ideas is better for us, no doubt about that. It's good. Some games are good, really good. Some games are not so good. 
This is the process of any team, of us in this particular moment, even before we are trying to build an idea that can give us other options, even try to adapt during matches. And this is something we, we've talked about a lot, the fact that Wolves really, with these players who are technically so, so good, they can adapt. It's just about getting that time, which they are now getting on the training field, to implement those ideas so they can be less predictable. And then they can change within a game when it's not going according to plan. Yeah, absolutely right. And we've spoke about them having to need a plan B for years, really. But because they've been doing so well, I guess they sort of haven't needed one. But I'd be interested to know what's instigated this change. I don't think it's something he's been planning for a while. Otherwise, we probably would have seen a different summer transfer window in terms of the players that came in. You know, it's not like he signed players with the idea of then moving to a back four, you know, as soon as possible. So I'd be interested to know what instigated it. I mean, I suspect it's probably the lack of goals. And what was it, uh, 11 and 12 before, before the Chelsea game? And not creating many chances either and looking quite dull. So, I mean, it's an entertainment business at the end of the day and Wolves weren't entertaining anybody. But the last few games have been a big big improvement. I don't think Paul Scholes is a big fan. He was was kind of pointing out that, yeah, Wolves can be not the best to watch. And I was watching that on Amazon thinking, my God, it wasn't that long ago that people, neutrals, were waxing lyrical. Glenn Hoddle's a big fan of, of what Nuno's done. And he loves or loved watching Wolves. And it's only really this season it has been quite laboured and that neutrals have been going, wow, Wolves are so boring, particularly in first halves. But they're a work in progress, I guess. Yeah, definitely. They have earned that boring tag over, over the last over the last few months. And it's not it's not it's not it's not unjustified, I don't think. And yeah, we have grown accustomed to really enjoying watching this Wolves team. So I'm glad they're kind of getting back to that now. And I mean, as well as the team, there were kind of several individual strong performances last night. I thought Neto um Neto and Pedence were just they're just Shining stars at the moment and um, both rapidly improved as, as, as the last few weeks have gone on. I thought Neves was really good. He seems to really benefit when playing alongside a physical presence in a two. I think it, I think it really it really brings him alive. Um, he played almost twice as many passes as any Wolves player last night. Um, so the game just went through him and he's so good when when he's got a bit of a license to control the game. We've always said, haven't we, we noticed that it doesn't seem to be as good alongside Matinho. And it's quite some time ago we noticed that whether whether he feels that he can't dominate a game, we wonder whether it might be psychological because we're talking about a Portuguese legend alongside him or whether, you know, physically, of course, they're not much of a presence. But you want Neves to get hold of the ball and think, right, I'm running this midfield. Because when he does that, when he feels in command and he looks like he wants to dominate... Then he pings his passes and he makes things happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's never going to be the quickest. He's never going to be the most athletic or mobile, which is why he probably doesn't suit playing in a more advanced role because he's, he's not quite quick or athletic enough to do that. But when he's sitting and, and spraying balls around and controlling the tempo, I mean, I've, I've never seen a better passer of a through ball than Ruben Neves. You know, in, most, in the championship days, he was he just cut the division apart at times. And it's interesting, yeah, that's where his best performances in a Wolves shirt came in the Championship when he had Saïs alongside him. And I think the best performances we've seen of him in the Premier League is when he's had Dendonka alongside him. So I think if you're going to play two in the middle, it can't be Neves and Matinho together. And I think Nuno's realised that as well. Absolutely. In terms of um, changes and contrasting this season to last season, I was looking at the stats for Premier League only. In terms of average goals scored, one per match this season. Last season, the average was 1.37 per match over the course of the season. Wolves have already hit the woodwork seven times. Only 10 times in the whole of the Premier League season last year. Most of the other stats are, quite surprisingly, virtually exactly the same. I don't quite know how they managed to exactly the same average number of passes, but slightly better this season in terms of passing and shooting accuracy, which I thought was quite interesting. People might have thought there's a bit more of a drop-off in various stats there. Yeah, I guess they haven't been generating a plethora of opportunities every game, have they? So, you know, they are fairly clinical when it when it comes to taking the chances. Um and yeah, but one thing that did alarm me last night was, was some of the defending on on show. And to be honest, they could have been three nil down by the time that they did eventually get their equaliser. I mean, when Giroud has that free header in the first half, I think Neves was marking him, which is just bizarre. Why you'd have Neves marking Giroud, I don't know. So he should have scored that. And Bolly just sort of watched on as that happened. Um, and then um, Kurt Zuma had a free header. Um, oh when, he, when he hit the bar. It was just, a brilliant header, by the way, wasn't it? But you watch him gr- back in slow motion, admiring the, the majesty of it. And then you're yeah. thinking, hang on a minute, where are the old gold lads? Well, I, I, I re-watched that corner and he was stood at the back of like a train. You know, Wolves do that as well. They have like a train of, of four players on the edge of the box that then attack the ball. So Zuma was stood at the back of the train, but no Wolves player was picking him up. 
And as soon as the ball is flighted in, he makes his run. And again, nobody picks him up. And also nobody challenges the ball. Alarming defending, to be honest. And then the goal. I mean, we've got to talk about the goal. It was just, it was alarmingly bad. Chilwell gets a free run down the left. Pedenza and Otisawi just just watch this happen and stand still. So nobody's tracking him. Samedo makes a sort of a half-assed attempt to, to follow him. And then the ball comes in, and again, Bolly Bolly doesn't attack it. You know, he was be- he was he was better than he has been last night, but he's still he's still quite passive. He needs to be more aggressive and attack the ball in the box. It was a great finish from Giroud, and quite intuitive the way he kind of sticks his foot around Bolly's body to to finish it. But Bolly's got that's that's Bolly's ball. The ball comes, he's got to attack it, and then Patricio should save it. So you're looking at five five players there that should have done better for that goal. Nuno will be livid about it, I'm sure. And when you add that to the two free headers they had in the first half, then they were fortunate to only be, only be one nil down. Thereafter, they, they were they were very good, and they were on the front foot and taking the game to Chelsea, who probably sat a little bit too deep. But yeah, the defensive errors and Semedo made a couple more last night and was clearly being targeted by Chelsea, which of course you would do. You try and get him on his own, and I think we'll see Burnley and Dwight McNeil do exactly the same on on Monday because he's um, he's susceptible to losing his man at the moment, which is not a good sign. But apart from those five errors for the. Giroud goal. I mean, there was absolutely nothing wrong with it defensively, was there? Um, right, we have to talk about Samedo. We've had a lot of tweets about him and Matthew Upson, former England defender, summarising, kept talking about Samedo. was quite incredulous at some of the basic errors that he was making and he was highlighting how time and time again, not always Samedo's fault by any stretch, but down the Wolves' right-hand side defensively, that was a big, big problem. I mean, what do you make of all that? Uh, do you know what he? I mean, he's he's the talking point at the moment, isn't he? And um, I thought he played well against Villa, and he got an awful lot of stick after the penalty. And people focused and said he's rubbish, he's terrible. He actually, after a rough start, he did really well against Jack Grealish, which I think was uh, was not really noticed. You actually had a situation where Wolves fans were slating Tomato, and Villa fans were on Twitter were saying, "Well, to be fair, he kept, kept Grealish quiet. Nobody else has really done that this season." So I was, I was really, I was actually really pleased with how, we, with how he played until the daft error for the penalty. And then last night, I guess this is what we're going to get from him. He's he's promising going forward. There was a really nice move in the second half where he links up with Traore and controls Traore's strongly hit pass brilliantly in the box and then sets up Otisawi for a really good chance. That's that's the good of Semedo. He's pacey, he's athletic, he can be creative going forward. But defensively, he's not great when he's one-on-one, which again is something we heard about in the summer. Um, you know, we knew we knew he'd been like this at Barcelona. And he just looks like he's got, he's got an error in him. And the way that that cross drops over his head when Werner should score, I think it was either one all or one nil at that, at that point, but he just, he doesn't quite jump properly for the ball and the ball just drops over his head and Werner, I think he's surprised that it comes to him and, and sort of fluffs the chance. So, like I said, teams are going to target him because if you do get him on his own, um, he's struggling. I thought it was quite interesting to compare and contrast the average positions map as provided by Opta from Saturday's match against Villa to the Chelsea match. Obviously different formations, um, but I put the two together, Tim, and we're just having a look at it now. And one thing I really noticed was on the Wolves' defensive right. So you've got number 22, Semedo, whose average position against Chelsea was just inside his own half. But he had Dendonka average position just behind him and then Bolly close to him as well on the right of a back three. It's almost as if they had to go over there a great deal more to back him up because Chelsea had targeted that side so much. Yeah, de- definitely. And um, that was one of Dendonka's key responsibilities was, was to help out defensively. And, and, and I thought he did that pretty well. And they probably suffered when he went off. You know, Otisawi had a decent debut, which we'll talk about. But, um, but his average position on this map that we're looking at is basically... The right back stroke, right wing back position. Yeah, I think I think if Dendonka had played the full ninety, that that would change. I think because the first half was a lot to do with Wolves being passive and, and sitting deep. Um, whereas over the course over the course of ninety minutes, he would be a bit higher up the field. But yeah, it's 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 worrying that he has to maybe sort of sacrifice his attacking intentions to to help out down that flank. Interesting. Um, in terms of the victory, I mean, it was, it was a fabulous, fabulous win, wasn't it? Brilliant. And for some Wolves fans, that will be seen as payback. For those of us who love to hold a grudge, we don't love to. We just 
can't help it, but I mean, you remember what it was like, January 2012, when Stephen Ward had equalised at Molyneux against Chelsea, and then Peter Walton, earlier in the game, should oh, have sent goes. Lampard off if in the goes. 24th minute. I mean, and he should have done. It was inexplicable. It was a studs-up challenge on Adam Hamill. Studs-up. Lampard afterwards said... Well, obviously, I should have been sent off. I mean, I'm just hoping I wasn't, and I'm glad I wasn't. And, of course, he scored a late winner. And so when you saw Lampard's face after the 95th minute winner, is it really bad that the first thing that came into my mind when I saw his face was his face after scoring the winner against Wolves in Remind me never to wrong you, Jackie Oatley, mm. because you hold a grudge. <laughs> that was eight years ago. Get over it. Yeah, I'm, nine I'm, years. <laughs> I, um, I remember that well. Yeah, that was that was a relegation season, wasn't yeah. it? And um, and then I covered um, a West Ham Chelsea match shortly after that when Peter Walton did send off Frank Lampard. It was later rescinded because he should never have sent him off. So he's trying to equalise it in his own refereeing mind. But never mind. Well, do you know what you're right though? And and when we, when Wolves won at the Emirates a couple of weeks ago, the first thing I thought of was Nenad Milias's red card um, all those years ago. Do you remember that one? Cole on, Henry, um, I was thinking Cole Henry's red card and then Nicholas Bentner because I was oh, in the away end well. that day very close to the Arsenal supporters <laughs> we're giving each other stick the whole way through and then Henry was sent off and then that eight, you know we thought we're going to get a point out of it I was absolutely livid so that's what I thought ne- we never forget do we you can't no I, I was in the away end for the for the Milias game when he we, got sent off I still managed to nick a one or draw that day and then Mick McCarthy was so enraged incensed he did a powerpoint presentation before his next press conference as to why it shouldn't have been a red card uh, it's but also chelsea i'm just still bearing a grudge i was at um, stanford bridge was it a couple of seasons ago when, when nuno took off um raul last couple of minutes and um i think wolves were winning one nil is that right and then um eden hazard late late in the game right foot pops it in equalizer i was absolutely fuming and sorry to name drop but i was, I was hanging out with them um jeremy vine and some other chelsea people in the box that day and i was ab- i was in the worst mood and they were all <laughs> chelsea fans i was absolutely livid my husband kept trying to change the subject but but this is it the, this is Wolves' time is now we're, we're putting right all the wrongs of, of yesteryear I'm, I'm i'm lording it in the group chat with all my man united <laughs> mates and arsenal supporting mates you know i had to, I, I first met these guys at uni and which was the which was the first season Wolves were back in the Premier League when we finished bottom of the table under Dave Jones. That was when I, I started university, living with loads of Man United and, and Arsenal mates who um, who beat us regularly. We couldn't even get a point off any of them. Well, we are currently sitting in Chelsea territory where I live. And so when I dropped the kids at school this morning, I was looking for my little boy's Max's best friend, also called Max. I was trying to find him because he's a big Chelsea fan. I was trying to take it out on a six-year-old boy. How unfair is that? I was desperately trying to find all these little kids with Chelsea badges you see every day. And funnily enough, this morning, none of them were to be seen spiders. Anyway, we should really move on, move on from this petty ridiculousness. Oh, well, I think, I think Wolves fans are all, all the same at the moment. I mean, you have to be. It's like we've, you know, f- finally able to to lay claim to be the the best team in the Midlands last season for lot for like the first time ever. Really, you've you've got to enjoy these moments and lord it over everyone and become really annoying to all your mates because you know it's not going to last. And you know they do exactly the same to you. Yeah, only the West Midlands, sadly. But but I mean, to, just to put it in context, I mean Chelsea. I, I was doing a few stats just before the game started and I did some ahead of the game as well and I was thinking oh my god they've got so many goals in them they'd scored 25 Premier League goals before the game only Liverpool had scored more and those 25 goals had been scored by 13 different players and then when the game started I think I tweeted something about how only three Wolves starting lineup players had scored and nine of Chelsea's had plus there was Kante who'd scored for France so they'd all scored a goal this season and you think it was so up against it so for them to step up in the way they did and come from behind they deserve a huge amount of credit and we've we've requested more goals of Neto and Pedence you know they need to step up even more so now without Jimenez and I think that's Neto's fourth of the season plus he got one for Portugal as well that boy's really if, if he's on track to to hit double figures this season at least well, he's not going to hit 100, but but you know what I mean. He's he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna hit at least 10 this season, which is which is great. And if Pedence can do the same, then they'll go some way to to replacing Jimenez's goals. Yeah. So Raúl got four. Neto's now got four. Pedence has now got three, and eight Nori and Saiz are the others with one apiece. So um, yeah, stuff to work on. Um, but Neto's dive for the penalty. Oh, We've been talking Pedro. about trying to win penalties and how important it is. And 
yeah the, the you know the idea was there but well he's obviously been listening to, to the podcast and he's like i've got to get a penalty for jackie <laughs> she's been saying for weeks now <laughs> shut her up i think cody as well that's why that's why he did that at anfield um but yeah no that was a bit embarrassing from pedro we, we don't like to see that i don't see the point in even attempting a dive when var is in existence because well, yeah and especially since he was he was moaning to the referee before he went to check the monitor so what, what was he saying to the ref you know, it's a the clear interesting dive. thing with that was when Connor Cody went down, he looked quite sheepish and didn't really say anything to anyone and got a load of abuse from Jordan Henderson. When Neto went down, he seemed to be adamant. And interestingly, when he talked to the club's official TV channel, um, he he said, no, you know, it still was a penalty. The referee, I tried to tell the referee, but so he wasn't forceful about it, but he was standing by it. We couldn't see the contact, but he was adamant there was. There were some peculiar uh, occurrences during the game. You had um, you had Net- well, Neto's celebration, um, <laughs> which was just brilliant. <laughs> um, hugging the groundsman, Chris Chris Lane. We've got to give him a shout out. Um, massive Wolves fan. And uh, yeah, he's been a groundsman at Wolves for, for quite a few years now. We've had a lot of tweets about this by the way who was that guy because it started to grow legs that it was Raul I mean it could have been anyone I mean it what, could in have, the South Bank it, on his own it, it could have been anyone with all the accreditation flying around so so I checked last night and I was told I was a groundsman and I phoned up the club this morning and said who is this guy and, and somebody who you know but it's lovely that he is a big Wolves fan but he was a bit worried about about hugging Neto in case he wasn't allowed well yeah we you, you can see it. it was very 2020 wasn't it they sort of both sort of oh should we do this should we not and then Neto just goes in for the bear hug I mean, it's a, it's a great moment. And yeah, Chris uh, uh, lives in Womburn, massive Wolves fan. And um, what a moment for him. He's got to get that framed on his wall, hasn't he? Yeah. Got to give him a shout out for his Twitter feed as well. It's basically at Crispy Duck, at chr one SPY duck, in case you want to give him a little bit of love on Twitter. But yeah, he's a big Wolves fan. Yeah, so that was, that was an unusual moment, as was, um, as was the sight of Adama Traore being injured but not leaving the field and not getting treatment, but just kind of just sat, just stood there, haunched over while the game continued. It's absolutely bizarre. I mean, what? Why? Why didn't stop and ask for the trainer to come on or just leave the field? I don't know. But basically, Wolves were down to ten men for a good couple of minutes there. Absolutely bizarre. It was, and you had Matt Perry, the club doctor, on the side, just looking on anxiously. And the player just obviously being asked if he wants treatment and didn't. Maybe he felt embarrassed because he'd just come on two and a half minutes earlier. And he probably jarred his ankle. When you watch the replays, it looked very painful. But there was no, I mean, Matt Upson again on commentary was going, well, normally you'd have the player come off and somebody else would be warming up and there'd be a plan. But they seemed to be convinced he was going to carry on. Yeah, very strange. So you had that, you had the Cody shot, obviously that was very unusual. And then you had the sight of of Daniel Penence um, being booked. I couldn't believe he was booked for this. So it's a Wolves throw. Chilwell insists on holding onto the ball, as players tend to do. It's Wolves' ball. So Penance has every right to grab it off him because um, they, they wanted to take it quickly, you could tell, and catch Chelsea out. And then Chilwell sort of grabs Penance by the throat, um, but it's Penance who ends up getting booked. That was just crazy from Stuart Atwell. What a ridiculous decision. It was odd. I mean... In fairness to Chelsea, said nobody ever, but in fairness, it should have been their throw. It had come off Samada. But that's not the point. The yeah, fact is, totally. it was just a throw in. It was on halfway, you know. But it was a Wolves throw. And the fact that he was trying to stop Pedence getting the ball meant if anyone was going to be booked, it should be Chilwell. And it was it was good aggression from Pedence. And he had his throat grabbed by Chilwell. And then also, when you think back to Pedence against Villa, and he was the one wronged by massive Tyrone Mings grabbing him round the head. And you saw Pedence's reaction. I don't know about you, but I loved it. I loved that sense of desperation and urgency yeah, from totally. this player. Yeah. I think maybe some of the other Wolves players could do with a little bit of, of that desperation, if you like, that will to win, that determination, that yeah. win at not all costs, win fairly, but just goddamn win the ball and, and, and try and score and try and get something out of this game. And that free kick led to Villa scoring the winner. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really like what I've seen from Penence in this kind of new role that he's got in, in the 10. Wolves have never played with a 10 under Nuno. They don't have anybody in that gap between the striker and the midfield. And um, some of the things he's been producing the last two games have been phenomenal. That The driving run and through ball he played for Fabio Silva in the Villa game when Silva hit the post, you just don't see Wolves players do that. I think it's, it's such a good thing to have in their armoury. And 
I love watching him and, and Neto work their way upfield on the counter-attack. They played some phenomenal football last night. The offside goal they scored was majestic. Um, if that had gone in, it comes from Otisawi winning the ball in his own box, which was the first thing he'd done of note after a very after the first 10 minutes of his debut completely passed him by. He looked like he was treading water. Um, so he won it back in the box. It was worked out to Pedence deep on the right with his back to goal. He squeezes a pass inside to Neves. Neves then advances upfield, wide to Neto, ball across the face for Silva and a tidy finish. It was a fantastic goal um, tragically ruled out correctly for, for offside but yeah their ability to kind of briskly work their way upfield um, Traore as well it's, it's really impressive the, same with the build in the build up to his dive for the penalty as well I think him and Saiz combined and then Neto basically there needs to be a lot more of that doesn't that that yeah, interchange we've missed that, quick, that. We've missed you've got that. quick players so why not a bit more one touch in key areas because they're intelligent players they're technically brilliant players but it has been so pedestrian at times this season hasn't it when you've got all these neutrals and Wolves fans calling them boring it's because it's been a bit painting by numbers you've got to go here and then you've got to go there and then you've got to go there rather than bish bash bosh confuse the yeah. opposition and carve them open well they've been trying to dominate games more in the opposition half haven't they so they haven't had as many opportunities to kind of to counter forward with with the with the pace that they've the explosive pace that they've done so well in the past so yeah I, re- I liked seeing that again from Wolves some some of the some of the combination play was outstanding Nuno talks about quite a lot of the combinations and um, uh, yeah we definitely want more of that please looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So some promising signs from Otisawi, who got himself a, a cheeky little assist as well for Pedence yeah. with his with his header. I mean, you can laugh yeah. about it. It was just a little knockdown header, but it was a physical presence in the box to win that header and to knock it down. For no, him. totally. I love some of the assists that players have got this season. Do you remember the Kilman one for Jimenez for the goal at Leeds? He punted it 70 yards at field. Jimenez had no one for company. And um, it was probably another minute before he ended up scoring, but Kilman gets the assist. Hang on, the best one in the history of football, the best assist. Slight exaggeration, history of football. I think it was Alderweireld for the goal of the season last season. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, I'm really going to say. He picked yeah, the yeah. ball from a one-yard nudge from uh, Alderweireld and he ran the length of the pitch and scored. Yeah, assist, assist stats can be, can be misleading, can't they? But um, I, thought he, I thought he did okay, actually. A, you know, a massive moment for him to come on. I mean, uh, the logical thing most people probably thought Nuno would do if Dendonka was injured would be send Saiz into midfield and put Kilman at the back. But no, he, he entrusted Otisawi to come on. I mean, he's been on the bench a lot recently. Um, I did a piece on him a few weeks ago. He's got an interesting backstory. Obviously, he comes from America, comes from New York. Didn't start playing football until he was until he was 14. Kind of just uh, fell into it, really. And then joined an, uh, a sort of a, a soccer academy in London and then got picked up by Wolves from there. So I think he was at West Ham as well. He had a trial at West Ham for a couple of months. So, um, and he's a model. He's, he's a he's a Burberry model. He's done some catwalk modeling in London. So he's an unusual, got an unusual backstory, uh, an interesting character who gives as good as he gets in terms of verbals and will disagree with coaches and managers and really very opinionated. And I liked, I liked what I saw. Um, you know, he's very strong. He got forward well, um, which I wasn't expecting from him. I mean, he potentially should have scored with that move we mentioned earlier with with Semedo. Um, not not nice couple of tussles that he got involved in to win the ball back. Um, decent in possession, got beat a couple of times, and like I said, he, the first ten minutes he was treading water. But you know, you, I guess you you got to give him leeway because it's his debut. So very promising and very interesting to see what happens if Dendonka is out for a prolonged period of time, which of course we hope he's not, because like I said, as we said earlier, Neves and or Martino really benefit from having a physical midfielder alongside them. So does Otisawi now start or does Saiz go into midfield? You know, interesting things to ponder. Yeah, I loved Otisawi's first ever interview that he gave to the club afterwards as well. I don't remember hearing or seeing a player quite so laid back as this guy. <laughs> he, he sounds more English than American, actually, but he um, he was so cool. He was just, yeah, yeah, it was good. He's so laid back. And <laughs> what I really liked about him was that he 
wasn't phased in the slightest, which you might think for someone so young coming on for his Premier League debut, that he um, he was just like, no, just focus on my own game. And I love that. And it's that kind of attitude, not being phased, that makes you think, well, actually, he could, he could jump straight in here and not really have to go through the gears of being in the under-23s for too mm. long. That's promising. I've heard that of a, of a few other Wolves under twenty three. Someone said that about Theo Corbiano last week when because when, he ne- nearly made the bench at Anfield and is, is next in line um, as one of the backup forwards at the moment. So, yeah, Otisawi, I mean, he made his USA debut recently, which we both watched, didn't we, when he came on and, and made a positive impact, albeit only on for five minutes and did well. So, um yeah, this this is great. This is what Wolves wanted. This is what Nuno wants. This is what Foson wants. This is what Jeff G wants. Good under twenty three players to back up the first team. Yeah. This is a perfect example of that. Under twenty three, the guy's only nineteen, and it's quite exciting to think who Wolves have got coming through. I mean, Pedro Neto looks to have just the world ahead of him, doesn't he? I mean, he could be whatever he wants to be. And we know about his wonderful attitude. Fatinha's only 20. He got himself a fabulous assist. Fabio Silva, who we talk about, only being 18 for another six months or so. Real promising players for the future. Max Kilman, who's established himself, he's only 23. Eight Nori. Eight Nori is 19 years of age. This is quite exciting. And then there's the likes of Luke Matheson, who's 18 years of age, who's being nurtured and, and sort of being taught the Wolves way, the Nuno way, if you like. Um, a lot of promising play. I mean, who do you think is the next cab off of the rank in that regard? Other than Ottosawi, as in who's next to come through. Mm. I think Corbiano's had an outstanding year in terms of his progress and they think very highly of him and he's very confident. Um, in fact, we know how confident he is from the FA Youth Cup game last season. Do you remember? Because when he took his Penenka penalty at nil oh, nil. So, oh. so. Oh. But I speak to someone about him last week, and and they, and they said they wouldn't put it past him doing it again. You know, he's, he really is that confident. Albeit that was a bit daft. Um, <laughs> so he's yeah, he's he's doing very well. Keanu Hoover's another we've not mentioned there. Spent nine yes. million on this kid, mm. um, and he can't get a, a minute for the first team at the moment. But. If I was Samada, I'd be looking over my shoulder, really, because um, he could potentially come in if Samada's going to continue to make mistakes at the back. There are a few. Owen, Owen Heskith, they signed from Man City, is another they rate very highly from midfield, who's just started to come through into the under-23 setup now. Every time I watch Sondergaard, he pulls off some phenomenal saves. I was at Port Vale for the Papa John's trophy game last week, and he made some phenomenal saves. That, that He just sort of makes saves that you wouldn't expect him to make, which is a great sign for a keeper. And he looks just like um, Peter Schmeichel as well. He's got the Schmeichels about him. So th- there's a few coming through. They've invested a lot of money into this. They've expanded their recruitment and scouting teams and placed a big emphasis on signing players of that age group. Now, what's interesting, and I've got an article coming out later this week on this very subject, is the new Brexit rules that are coming in. So you can't sign a player aged under 18 from overseas anymore full stop and signing players aged 18 is going to be difficult um, because there's going to be a new point system comes in uh, which relates to how many games they've played for their country how many games they've played for their club how good their league is you know it's going to be impossible to sign an 18 year old um, Spaniard with no international experience who plays in Poland it just wouldn't happen. And I, I, I did a story this week about how they've looked into the possibility of signing former Brazil striker Hulk, who is currently in China, but his contract expires in January. They physically can't sign him because he doesn't won't have enough points. So you say because he's too strong. <laughs> now I think it's, it's probably a non-starter anyway because of his, I mean, he's on three hundred grand a week in China and he's thirty-four. Uh, he's not a Wolves signing, although they might have to break their mould a little bit when it comes to how they replace him in January. But the point is, um, they can't sign him full stop because he doesn't qualify. He hasn't played for Brazil for four years and that means he's, he's short of points. So um, I've put all this together for a piece like this week which hopefully people will find interesting because I, I discovered a lot that I didn't know um, about the massive changes that are coming in and Wolves have had to really change their recruitment strategy um, in recent months knowing that these changes are coming in. They've known about these changes for a year. I think that's the reason that they've signed a few lads this year to get them in before these rules come into into force in January. That's really interesting. So we'll read all about that. Just finishing off the Chelsea victory, the defence generally, I know you've talked about, but they did look generally a bit more comfortable, didn't they? Saiz, I thought he deserved a lot of credit because... He really does add something to that side. You can tell by the way Nuno talks about him. He absolutely loves Saiz. I mean, he's got a big personality, hasn't he, off the pitch. But he has a personality on it as well. He's a manager's dream. Uh, he's low maintenance. Uh, gets on with his job. 
and whether he's picked or not, he's got a great attitude. And he, yeah, he's come in the last two games. I thought he was great against Villa. Um, the first time I've, I've ever seen him playing a back four. And he, he looked like he, he played there for years. I thought he was great against Villa, him and, him and Cody at the back. So, um, yeah, and same again against Chelsea. So, I think Kilman's unlucky to not be in the team at the moment. But when Saiz puts in a, a nonchalant and very comfortable defensive performance like that with no errors, then I mean, he's Wolves' best defender last night. So, um, yeah, he's, he's done exceptionally well. Got to mention that touch from Saiz, which I was purring about last night when I messaged you and sent you the video. I was like, look at this touch from Saiz. <laughs> How many defenders in that situation in the 95th minute when your opponent's crossing the ball, bearing in mind you lost your last home game in stoppage time to a penalty? How many defenders would just stick a boot through it and clear it high upfield, hoping for your pacey forward to get on the end of it or clearing it out of play. And straight away, even though it had been deflected by Semedo, it came to him and first time ball into the feet of Vitinha for him to brilliantly then uh, find Pedro Neto for that winner. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said, he's composure personified. You know, he's not... Um, he doesn't let things get to him. He's, he's captain of his country and he's been a, a, a fantastic asset for for many years now. I mean, he's one of their longest serving players as well. People forget, you know, he's signed in 2016. He's already, he's already been at Wars four years. And um, yeah, like I said, a manager's dream. And that's what they try to do defensively, which is why I wasn't, I wasn't hard at all on Cody for his error at Liverpool because what they try to do is try and turn defence straight into attack. And you could tell, yes, it was an error of judgment under pressure from Salah and it didn't work, but you could tell he didn't want to be one of those defenders who just nods it, boots it. He wanted to think about the next move and okay, it went wrong on that occasion. But the way that he intercepted that ball forwards at Arsenal, first time ball from him brilliantly out to the right and Wolves on the attack and went and scored, that just demonstrates that the thought process of these players is very much a step ahead of of how they might have been in, in years gone by. Yeah, absolutely right. And they're all technically sound now, aren't they? I mean, even someone like Kilman, who's come from non-league, has got, has got a great technique with his, with his futsal oh, background. Oh, you didn't have to mention I don't that. know if you heard about that. He's just played <laughs> futsal. Do you know, I was actually explaining. I found someone last night at the wedding um, who didn't know that. Uh, a big big football fan very knowledgeable and he was like I like I like that Kilman <laughs> and I was like oh yeah do you know he used to play futsal he was like what so I talked to him through the whole story so yeah do he, they watch the last... football with the sound down because commentators <laughs> love it <laughs> must do yeah the last person in the country to find out that Max Kilman played futsal this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Now that Villa game, by the way, which we don't need to talk too much about, but we should touch on it. I mean, the Villa antics, by the way, I was absolutely convinced watching this that that was Jose Mourinho managing <laughs> yeah. Villa. And yeah. I'm absolutely convinced that it's basically Jose Mourinho's tactics instilled into John Terry, who has in turn instilled it into that Villa team because all they wanted to do was disrupt the rhythm of the play and every little touch was a free kick. And I know people are fuming with Mike Dean and his part in it and the yellow cards and, and there, were, <laughs> there were blatant yellows uh, in the Chelsea game that weren't even given and, and there were ones that were barely fouls that were yellow cards in that game. Extraordinary. Yeah, it was a very... Very frustrating game to watch. I mean, the synchronised dive. I was, I was laughing my head off in the press box. I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous, wasn't it? The Grealish one. Grealish, and I can't remember who the other player was, literally both diving in unison, um, <laughs> begging for free kicks and penalties. Running so, into the chest of Triori and getting a free kick. Yeah, yeah no, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was very annoying. And Mike Dean didn't help because he set his stall out with the, with the bookings he gave early on and had to match that. It was, it was feisty. Um, most fouls of any game in the Premier League this season. Was it that feisty um, though? Wasn't it just niggly? Wasn't it just annoying? I watched, no, it, I watched it, it on my phone in the Derby County car park and it was just, I had to leave my, my space by Burger King to go and, and pull up in my, my media space at the end of the first half because it was so annoying to watch. And of course, that's when Wolves picked up and had those chances. But so annoying to watch. Stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. It felt feisty to me. It was it was the first game that I've watched since lockdown started that felt it felt like fans were, were there because the game's been played with, with intensity. I don't know if that came across on TV, but it did feel like a derby. Um, I was surprised at how much it felt like a derby. Uh, Wolves clearly not fans of Villa because they fouled them more often than they fouled any team this season. 
the same as last year when they played Villa at home. That was the most fouls they gave away last season was against Villa at home. So they like giving them a bit of a kick in. Um, I, do you know, I actually thought Wolves played pretty well in that game. And were it not for Fabio Silva hitting the posts or Dendonka spurning that opportunity, it, albeit a great save from Emi Martinez, or Neto's cross to Pedence, if he just gives it a bit more welly, then Pedence has got a free shot on goal. Fine margins, really. Villa are a good team. Shouldn't forget that. They're a good away team as well. I think they've got the best away record in the league. So um, it was unfortunate the way it ended. You've got to say fair play to Villa, really, for continuing to attack as well in the last few minutes when they were down to 10 men. And you're not happy with me, I can tell by your face. In fact, you're livid with me. I don't know if we might have to cancel this podcast. Um, I'm just going to pick the kids up. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought I, just, I thought it was actually a pretty decent performance from Wolves and that they were unlucky. Um, but it is amazing the extremes that... that the extreme reactions you're getting from fans now. I saw a few tweets with the word relegation in it uh, after Villa. Um, honestly, people thinking that there's a relegation scrap ensuing. Um, and then after after Tuesday night's game, Wolves are now five points off the top of the table. Um, and they've gone above the Villa. Did I mention that at the start? <laughs> and they're 12 clear of the relegation zone. So... For a team in transition, and I think this will continue to be a transitional year, I don't think this Chelsea game is going to kickstart a run of five successive wins, personally. Um, I think it is still a team in transition that's going to have to adapt to losing their best player. And um, it's a, yeah, but it just feels like one extreme to the other at the moment. Two words, fine margins. Wolves could have got no points from those two home games quite easily. Yeah, absolutely. That cross from Chilwell, had it not been deflected by Semedo and cleared from size for the winner, that could have been zero points from two games or it could easily have been six points from two games or it could have been two points such fine margins which is why winning penalties sorry um, and a few more free kicks and set pieces need to improve Nuno said this himself set pieces they really really do need to improve both attacking and defending yeah Yeah, they conceded some chances last night they haven't scored from a corner since the opening day of the season Uh, size at Sheffield United so yeah, there there are things um, there are things to improve on. They've got a difficult run of fixtures coming up. You know, it's Burnley, Man United, Spurs, and it's Brighton away. I don't think I don't think that they'll necessarily be going on a winning run. And I think um, losing their best player in Jimenez is obviously a massive blow. But Silva's been doing okay. And once they get to January and bring an addition in up front, then. Um, then we could see them getting near to seventh place like they did last season. You never know. Yeah, I like Nuno's quote after the Chelsea game. He says, happiness lasts an hour. Yeah. After an hour, we think of Burnley. How tough, eh? He said, which is it. Oh, and it is so up. It is so down. And it is so next game now, isn't it? I mean, they'll be absolutely buzzing as we sit here, freezing to death, um, talking about this match. But, um, but let's have a little think about Burnley, first of all, because whilst they've not had a great start to the season at all, they are still... Very, very difficult, compact side. And if we want to talk about grudges, Tim, there's a little bit of fairly recent history on Burnley away, which some of us haven't quite forgotten yet. But anyway, how do you see that game going? And how do you see Wolves approaching it? Uh, Hopefully on the front foot. I mean, Burnley are a hard team to beat. As you say, they've they've had a poor start to the season, but they've only lost one of their last five. And they were very good at Arsenal the other night. I mean, Arsenal completely self capitulated, but 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 Burnley is so hard to play through, so hard to beat. They're so robust. Then you know that they're a team that, that's not going to roll over. They're going to give their all every single game. So Wolves have got to earn it, is what I'm saying. And I hope that they do so with, a, with an attacking approach. Um, they created quite a few chances at Burnley in July, which was the penultimate game of the season, the one you referenced when Matt Doherty uh, tries to avoid being kicked in the face and inadvertently handles the ball and it's a penalty. Thanks and to Mike, Mike Dean. Dean. Oh, yeah. We did both mention that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm a defender of referees. I Honestly, people message me going, ask your, ask your refereeing mates about X, Y and Z. It's hilarious because I do defend referees to the hilt, but I, I thought it was a little odd there wasn't a bit more VAR intervention on that way. But moving forwards, I mean, they have only scored six goals in their 11 games as we speak, Burnley, this season. And one of those was an own goal, of course, at Arsenal uh, by Aubameyang. And that was a big... A big goal for them, a massive win for them. We don't know what that might do for them. You know, we're speaking ahead of their away trip to Aston Villa. Yeah. Um, but you would think that Wolves will be thinking back four for that, bearing in mind, yes, you know, they've got players who can be a handful, the likes of Chris Wood we know all about. Uh, but you would think Wolves would want that extra man in midfield and potentially for the attacking threat, do you think? I think I think they've got they've got to they've got to approach it on the front foot. 
Um, I want an attacking vibrant performance. I want to see a lot of Neto and Pedence on the ball running between the lines and drawing centre-halves away from their from their natural positions. And I'd like to see Fabio Silva start. I'd like to see Traore start and go back to four at the back for that particular game. Now, Nuno's hand may be forced by injuries. Um, Dendonka obviously came off at half-time against Chelsea. Bolly pulled up in the, in the closing minutes. And Traore obviously had his knock as well. So we'll have to see how they all bear up for Monday. There's a lot of games coming up. They won't be wrists with so many games coming up in quick succession over the, over the coming weeks. So um, his hands may be forced in that regard. But yeah, it goes without saying really. But I'd like, I don't want to see them sit in and sit deep and see what happens in the first half. Because then if Burnley score, then you're in trouble. I want to see front foot from the off get at Burnley get that first goal the way they did at Sheffield United absolutely right who haven't quite recovered from that Um, January transfer window we are expecting Wolves to be busy right now actually they're not waiting I mean Nuno's not talking about it you wouldn't expect him to he's deflecting but they are looking aren't they of course they are they've got a long long list of strikers and we know it won't be easy January is a horrible time to buy everybody knows that Wolves need a striker However, there will be there are players out there who need minutes and they will get someone in. I'm convinced of that. That's certainly the plan anyway. It's probably going to be their only addition um, of the month. But they're looking at all options in terms of it could be a flat loan for the rest of the season. It could be a loan to buy. It could even be a permanent. You know, nothing's kind of ruled out. There's, there's not a huge budget at stake here because they spent so much money in the summer. And of course, Raul Jimenez is coming back. So, you know, they wouldn't be signing a striker if Raul Jimenez was was not injured. So it's a difficult one. Um, but they've got a long list of strikers. They're looking all over the world. And uh, not much is ruled out, really. It could be a young player. It could be a more experienced player. It could be loan. It could be a permanent. But um, but that's what they're frantically working on now. I was working with Andy Brassel last week when I was commentating on the Leipzig-Man United game for UEFA. And I said to him, can't you watch loads and loads of football in Europe. Who do you think Wolves could sign realistically in January? And he said, well, at Sporting Braga, you could sign Paulinho. So I looked him up. 28-year-old striker, Portuguese. And he was very positive about him. He scored two in his last three matches. Paulinho is one that Nuno will know all about. Another one, he said, Musa Morega, who is a Mali international, can play anywhere across the front. He's 29 years of age and they would need to buy him though because he's out of contract next summer. But Musa Morega is... Is the other one who plays for Porto and he scored three goals in his last two games. But a couple of names in there just for a bit of fun. Now, Tim, any other business? We've got to mention the wonderful Raul Banner. Congratulations to everybody who was involved in that, including Louise Cobold, of course, who designed it, the fans who donated it. And Raul has been advised to stay away from matches for now by, uh, by his doctor. So he's not at the ground to actually see it, but he has thanked the fans as well. Yeah, and he's, he's been at Compton. Nuno was quite open about it uh, in the pre-Villa press conference. Said, you know, Raul's, I think he's been going in for breakfast in the morning to join the squad, which is fantastic. It's great to hear that he's out and about. I didn't think he'd be back at Compton by now, but he is. That's very promising for his uh, for his recovery. So, yeah, and we expect we'll see him at a game before long, I'm sure. And keep an eye out for the Wolves Sports Medicine guys. Absolutely. They're 12 days of Christmas fundraiser in aid of Cure Leukemia. They've got some amazing prizes to be won every single day. They're auctioning and raffling uh, prizes for 24 hours each. Some brilliant giveaways from current Wolves players in there. So go to at Wolves Sports Med on Twitter for Ollie and the guys. Uh, Wolves women through to the second round of the FA Cup after a 3-0 win over Stabridge. They've got Forest next at home on Sunday the 3rd of January. Next league match this Sunday, 2 o'clock at the training ground in Compton. That's against Bedworth, hoping to extend their 100% record so far. Follow at Wolves women. Thank you, Tim. Brilliant. You've nursed me through my hangover. It's been, been fantastic. <laughs> You're doing all right, actually, I'm so sorry you? for my drunk tweeting last night, everybody, by the way. I'm quite embarrassed. <laughs> you crazy man. Now, if you want to read Tim's stuff, which surely you want to do, he tends to write it sober, but it's more fun when he, when he tweets drunk and <laughs> Or fairly. I could tell you a story, but uh, no, not, not now. I'll tell oh, you a story yes. later. We'll, we'll stop recording and then we'll do it. Uh, but don't forget our offer that if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, then you can also get a guest subscription gifted for free for a friend or a family member. Go to theathletic.com co.uk forward slash wolves pod for that particular offer we will be back next week after wolves have played away at burnley so you'll find us in your regular podcast inbox bye for now